Superbrain is a labour of love. Alas, no podcast can survive on love alone. We don't have a sponsor, so we need your support for Superbrain to stay alive and kicking. You can make a one-off donation by following the Support This Show link in the show or episode description. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. My name is Sabina Brennan, and you are listening to Super Brain, the podcast for everyone with a brain. Have you read many self-help books? Are you a fan? Maybe you're not. Do you love them or do you load them? My guest this week is a well-respected journalist writing regularly for The Telegraph, The Times, etc., Her name is Marianne Power, and she has also amassed a considerable collection of self-help books. She devoured them, reading some of them multiple times over the years. She loved them and frequently recommended them to her friends and her family, but she never actually followed their advice. And she admits that she tended to skip over the questionnaires and the journaling sections. But after one particularly boozy night left her feeling very hungover, she made a snap decision to actually act on the advice of a different self-help book every month for a year. Being a writer and possibly not yet sober, she decided to announce her intention to the world on social media and also to document her journey through a blog, which ultimately became her brilliant book, Help Me. Written with raw honesty, it reads like a Bridget Jones script, but much, much better because on every page you recognize yourself and you laugh and you cry and you ask yourself, why oh why do I so Marianne Power I am so excited to talk to you today and to welcome you on the Super Brain podcast Um, it's always very interesting how I end up uh, choosing my guests because I promised myself that I was just interview people that really interest me or, or fascinate me rather than just have guests for the sake of having guests and how I came across you um, is kind of another one of those interesting stories. You actually interviewed me for, because uh, you are, you know, are a journalist and you interviewed me for a feature that you were doing on Brain Fog. Yeah. And um, we chatted for ages uh, yep. <laughs> and ages on the phone. And I remember I hung up um, and I just said, God, she was so nice. She was just oh. one of those, one of those people that you'd like to be your friend. Now that's going to make me sound oh. scary, but you know, no, it was kind of just, lovely. it was just lovely. One of those conversations. So I kind of Googled you and did a, did a, did a stalk, which actually probably is something that when you're being interviewed, you probably more professionally should do before you're being interviewed <laughs> to see who you're being interviewed by. But given that you were interviewing me for the, the Telegraph, you know, I mean, there was no need, you know, that, that yeah. that's kind of your CV up front straight, exactly. up, straight away you know so um I looked and then straight away your book popped up 
And I started to read about your book and I just thought, oh, what a brilliant idea. So, um, yeah, why don't you just tell us about this idea for your for your book? And oh, readers, I can't wait. I, I, I mean, I've just finished it. Um, listeners, rather. Uh, I've just finished it. My listeners will know that I, I leave reading the book right up till just before the podcast because it, it leaves me it's with fresh. a lovely fresh sense you know yeah. and often it's right to the wire you know yeah um, but it just leaves me with that lovely fresh sense um of the book so yes tell tell See, the listeners about... you've been living inside my head for the last I have day, and, and also <laughs> um I bought two versions of it so I've actually been listening to you oh yeah oh and oh, I, I, I actually that. would recommend that folks actually the audible version is lovely because you really do feel uh like you've gone on the journey with Marianne so tell us about this yeah. it is it, and I know at the very start actually you say is it your mom says at the start yeah. please don't say you're going to use the word journey <laughs> oh yeah my Irish mom is everyone's favorite bit of the book she's in about 25 pages and I wrote a 300 page book and all anyone asks about is my mom <laughs> and she, reads, she reads out her lines actually in the audio book it's her doing it um, what a fantastic idea actually yeah, to have had no, her she, do that and she's she's such a brilliant sport about it but yeah the book opens with mum saying you know about this book and I said yes she said, please don't please tell me you won't use the word journey in it and I said I won't I promise I prefer the term spiritual path just taking the piss really and then she's like <laughs> oh Marianne <laughs> um so the book is about me I spent a year living by the rules of self-help books so I took a different book each month on a different topic so men and money and worrying and I did absolutely everything they told me to do to see if these books really can change your life and the idea came I I was 36 at that point and I'd probably been reading self-help books since my mid-20s so you know I probably had a good 10 years of reading self-help books I was always quite embarrassed about it you know I'd hide them under my bed and friends would you know laugh at me it wasn't a cool thing to be reading anyway and like there was one book called how to stop worrying and start living that I'd read three or four times and I was trying to tell a friend about how good it was and she said see you don't worry anymore and just burst out laughing because I worried you know at that point I worried obsessively so friends would laugh at me basically and say that I was living proof that you know these books don't work but I really believed they would. And I thought the problem was that I wasn't actually doing what they were telling me to do. So, you know, it was like reading a cookery book and looking at the pictures and going, oh, how lovely. And then ordering a pizza. Yeah. So I was reading these books, fantasizing about how wonderful life would be if I got up to meditate at five in the morning or if I repeated positive affirmations. And I would, you know, really read that and get quite hyped up when I was reading the book. But then I'd open the wine and watch Netflix. You know, there wasn't, I never got up at 5am to meditate and I didn't ever repeat the positive affirmations. And I used to skip all the journaling sections. You know, these books very often have invitations to journal about the things. I always skipped all the exercises. And so then this is this one particular hungover Sunday and I spent the whole day watching the Kardashians and I hadn't got out of bed. And I was just, you know, see, like just swimming in a pool of sweat and self-loathing by the end of the Sunday. And I picked up a book that I'd read so many times before called um, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. And then I just had this idea, it just came to me, you know, just spend a year just doing the self-help, stop reading these books, actually do what they said. And because I had a journalist background, um, 
journalism for me has been really good way to go and make me do things that I wouldn't have the courage to do myself as, as my own personal human you know journalism has made me go into strange situations and so I decided that I would blog about this so I declared it on Facebook this is what I'm going to do and um, I'm going to write about it as I go through it and so that was my way of being accountable and then the book came um, a year after that blog um, yeah so that's that's the story yeah and 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 so we do and I'm sorry mom but we we do go on that journey with you you know <laughs> Um, and um, uh, uh, there's oh, it's 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 so it's so honest, you yeah. know. Uh, it, it is it is really raw and honest. And the funny thing is, it is uh, it's about self help books, and and the title of it is Help Me. How and, and and there's a what I should have it in subheading I think is how how self help did not change, change my life, my life. Yeah. and and um, but the fact of the matter is actually I would argue that it is probably one of the best self help books I've ever read <laughs> <laughs> because wow. it, because it kind of is because it is this really honest um it's 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 just this honest what you let us inside your head and inside your heart and uh you try everything now obviously it's it, it really is a book actually the 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 subheading should be don't try this at home folks because it actually <laughs> yeah. is quite dangerous exactly. because it is dangerous because really essentially it should have been you know you really to do those things it should be a book a year kind of thing yeah. you know because if you had done Susan Jeffers um that's the she's the field of fear the and field you do it fear, anyway yeah. if you had done her for a year um, you know, that could have been absolutely life changing. But essentially, so Susan Je Jefferson's Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, that was that was quite a hot book when I was young. Yeah. And, I, and I actually hadn't read it, but it was it, it became a catchphrase, you know, when when I, I think that came out around 1987 originally. And I had got married in 1987. So some friends were reading it who weren't married, but I was busy kind of tr trying to, you know, uh, save up for carpet for a, a concrete floor. And, you know, and then I was pregnant. And do, do you know what I mean? I didn't have time yeah. for that. But also there was things and people were just always saying, oh, just feel the fear and do it anyway, you know, and it just had become this kind of catchphrase. But you actually really did stuff every single day, which was because I was going whoa hold on that's just too yeah. much for everyone it was too much actually but yeah so yeah. I wrote this I wrote a list of the most scary things I could think of doing and um I shared that list on Facebook and the, you know the most scary thing I could think of doing was stand-up comedy um mm. which I did do and I also did naked modeling for an art class. I think for me, that was the, the naked modeling in an art class, I think would have been the scariest for me. Okay. But the, the, the amazing thing was you discovered actually you were really quite good at stand-up comedy. Um, so I, at that point, so just, just, just to let me um, listen to on the other things on the list was to chat up a guy on the tube, which anyone who's been in London, you're not even allowed to look at other people on the tube, let alone um, talk to them. Stand-up comedy, public speaking, which is something that's known to scare most people more than death. Like they've actually done surveys on I that. Know. And it's the top, top fear. And the naked modeling, 
but also I had little things like opening bank statements. This is it. And so this is what Susan Jeffers says. I actually think Feel the Fear is just a brilliant book. She suggests that we do one scary thing each day and that we start with something very small. So it can be opening a bank statement or parallel parking. And she says that the rush that you get from achieving this thing is it, it gives you an energy that then makes you go on and do the next thing and the next thing. And she said, nothing is as bad as that kind of just feeling that you're not dealing with the things, you're not doing the things you need to do. And because it's almost like you're sending yourself this message that you're not able to cope with the world. And she said, nothing is as bad as that feeling of putting things off. And that when we do anything, take any kind of action, even if it doesn't go well, like my first parallel park was terrible and there was a man in a van laughing at me. It was kind of, you know, all the stuff that I didn't want to happen happened and I mounted the pavement and I came home feeling like a hero because I would even give it try. So yeah, actually, the she says, yeah, she says there's no way of losing in those situations yeah. because even if it really falls apart and you get such a feeling of satisfaction. And so I learned that those small things actually have a huge effect um, on your whole feeling of um, power and confidence. And then, so then I, I built up to the big things, which was the naked modeling and stand-up comedy, which came at the end of that month. So that was the very first- But your first thing was 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 on New Year's Day. And yes. you you went, you went uh, sea swim, or yeah. went um, swimming a, in the freezing cold. That's in big. The freezing, in the freezing cold. And I would have very easily not have done that. I was already, trying to procrastinate out of it. And my flatmate at the time, is just one of these very low key people that just gets on and does things. And she said, no, you said we'd go swimming, we're going swimming. And she was there, you know, with the towel over her shoulder. And because I looked at one, look out at the gray sky and was like, oh, no way, we're not doing this. I changed my mind. And we did it and it was fantastic. It was freezing. I thought I was gonna have a heart attack. And that, sorry, it's a siren, um, London, London sirens. Um, or came out like just with heart pounding and feeling so wonderful. Alive. But you see, yeah. that's what's amazing. So I always look at these things from a neuroscience perspective. I, uh, I, I think that's what's, what's interesting about these books, because you do really write a thesis in a sense on uh, self-help books. You know, they're kind of because you do you discuss them philosophically as well yeah. you know and, and the dangers of them and yeah. and the morality of them uh -huh. exactly. as well it, it, it's very interesting and I agree with you about a lot of things and, and that's how I felt them felt about a lot of them um, but from a neuroscience perspective um the basically what Susan Jeffers is getting you to do is to tap into your reward system ah, um, yes. in your brain, because when you do something, when you surmount a challenge, it taps yeah. into you, you, you get a release of dopamine, ah, which which okay. then releases it taps into the the pleasure centers of your brain and, and the reward. So you get this sense of reward, but you see yeah. that also becomes addictive and it tells you, I want more of that. That was good. Uh -huh. That's the way it's set up. So it's then, oh, let's do that again or let's do something like that again. Brilliant. So it's really good. And you see your, your brain by nature, your brain likes patterns, right? Which is why we fall into patterns and routines. But in order, in order for it, and, and, and it needs to understand, in order to understand the world and make predictions, it needs more novel information. <laughs> Even though it likes patterns, it needs novelty to be able okay. to improve its predictions. It, it sounds yeah. counterintuitive. So you've got to keep doing new things ah. in order to improve its predictability. So uh, that's why doing new things is rewarding. 
because your brain needs you to kind of go and, and do it. It's, it. it's part of adaptation. So I'm always kind of looking at these things. Yeah. And the thing that I want to write about is that why do some of these books work, even though they're talking absolute rubbish? So for the most part, they've kind of, it's a bit like Freud from my perspective, right? From a psychological perspective. Um, Freud described some very true human uh, behaviors, but the reasons he gave for them are just, right. they're just pulled out of the sky. They tell us more about his psyche uh -huh. and they've never been proven. And it's that real case as it is with self-help books, uh, you just have to believe. And if you don't believe, well, then you're sort of not doing it right. Yeah. And that goes totally against psychology and principles of, you know, you've got to scientifically, you know, the scientific method and you've got to understand how these things work. And so I think with a lot of these self-help books, they've tapped into a process that oh. actually does work, but then they've made up things like oh. angels and, and, and various other things yeah. that make it work. And that's where the problems arise. Um, yeah. so, then, so then you moved on to another book that actually I thought was really good and that actually, if you'd kept with it, I think could have made huge differences because one of your big areas oh, is I know, I know what's well, coming. A, a walking financial disaster. I am. Yeah, well, at that time, are you still a walking financial I disaster? Am. Yeah. yeah, I am. I am. So the second book I did, did is called Money, A Love Story by Kate Northrup. And it's a book that tries to help you understand your emotional relationship with money because she says that most of us just think our problem with money is that we don't have enough of it and if we just had more we'd be fine but you only have to look at lottery winners who ended up broke within you know a few years to realize that's not the case the issue is not how much money we have the issue is very emotional and it's connected with what we think we deserve in life what we think we're worth um and our childhood associations with money so you know if you grew up in a house where money was the root of all evil and rich people were you know selfish bad people then that really affects how you're going to respond when money comes your way it's going to affect how the things you go after um and yeah so I I was I thought I really I really definitely could have spent a whole year doing that book for sure because money is it's Oh, it's such a painful subject if it's if it's something that you aren't in, you know, aren't managing well, which was the case for me and still is the case for me. Um, it's quite a lot of work to get to the bottom of that and change your habits. Um, and one of the things that she says is a really good question that I've asked lots of people since and it's very revealing, but it's what is your first money memory? Yeah. And how, and how does it relate to how you are today? And when I ask people this, everybody has such a different money memory and it really, really corresponds to how they behave with money today. And so my first memory was my dad, who was a builder, um, coming home and, you know, this was the 80s when we were kids. So there was always cash. Things weren't, they, no one had cards. Um, and me and my sister were in the sitting room watching telly after school. He came in and he was a messer. So he came in and he threw notes from his wallet he threw notes up into the air they would have been like I don't know it would be probably a pound notes at that point I don't remember what notes they were threw them up in the air and said to me and my sister we could keep whatever we caught and of course the excitement of this we were jumping off and we were you know trying to grab things in the air and I just remember feeling so stressed 
that I was going to mess this up and you know my sister was taller than me was was she going to get to them first <laughs> you know um and then afterwards he said only joking give it back and you know just this feeling of like oh my god what an idiot I was to believe that we were going to get to keep that money and I mean I think he I think after he probably would have given us some money anyway he was really generous he was just messing with us and yeah um you know there would have been no harm intended but I think in that moment how it connects to me in the book and also now less so now much actually much less so now because there's a lot of awareness around it but the patterns are still there I think money is to be thrown around like if I have money it is it is dispensed everywhere (laughs) and I think and I think you never get to keep it Mm. so what's the point in looking after it it's going to go somehow and it's funny when Help Me came out and you know it was really quite successful and it was published all around the world I was absolutely convinced someone was going to come and take the, the book advances away from me. I thought there'd be some legal issue. Yeah, it would not be mine. I didn't believe the money was mine in a way. It's, re- it's you know, these things go very deep. Yeah, um, and particularly when they come from childhood. Yes. Yeah. If you want to find out what your authentic self is, you need to understand how your brain has uh, uh, constructed yourself because your your brain has just constructed this idea of self who you think you are and from billions of bits of information that it has collected over the years and and essentially you have you have said this throughout this book do you know what I mean and that's what you've been doing on this self-help journey you were picking out these bits ah that's where I got that bit of Uh me that has to do with money, do, do you know? Yes. Um, so, and, and, and that's kind of very true. And as you said, oh, now I'm really aware of it, but it's a very embedded behavior. And exactly. that's very true. And that's part of the awareness, Jerry. understand where it is, but then you actually have to do the practical work on changing the habit. Yeah, um, and that's actually really, actually, much more easily done than finding the original yeah. behavior. It really is just retraining a, a habit, but you have to singularly focus on it and kind yeah. of work on it. But it actually really is just like training for a marathon. You know, you just actually yeah. have to. Well, marathon is too big, but in your instance, it might yeah. be. You really are just replacing a long head held behavior with yeah. another one. You need to auto. Yours has become automated. So basically. Um, yes. I won't spend too long on it, but yeah, I, I think I spoke about it actually in our in our brain fog uh, conversation. It's just become automated, so you need to replace it with another one that you can automate and watch out for in times of stress, etc. You'll fall back on on that yes. that old behavior. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, for all of us, there's that right across points in our lives. There's things that, and they've just become our story, which is yeah. our story of who we are. Yeah. Um, and again, it's just a story that our brain has pieced together. And that means we can take it apart and, and it's, write yeah. a new one, you know? I'm thinking of a funny example, which isn't to do with this book, but I have a story, you know, that I'm not good with numbers. And that's tied in with money, but it's also just tied in with numbers generally, and that I wasn't good at maths was at school. Um, Mum, this is a while ago, was moving out of her flat and so we were clearing things out and I was going through old school reports and I found one about how great I was at maths and you know like this story that I had constructed somewhere along the way wasn't always true I don't know if it's even true now but it was it was just like oh when was I I was good at maths 
where did I get that one from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so mad, it's isn't, funny, it? isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And then, like, yeah. You say that becomes the identity of like this is you know this yeah. is who I am. This is what I'm good at. What I'm not good at. And yeah. also what I realize in the process of a self help um, journey. Sorry, mum is. I I am capable of so many more things than I ever imagined. So the public speaking and a stand up comedy, just to go back to feel the fear, I did so well at it. Yes. Now at that point, I had I didn't speak up in meetings. I was a writer. I stayed behind a computer. It blew my mind that that was something I was good at. I really yeah. it like shattered my whole idea of who I was and what was possible. And the feedback from everyone was like you're a natural that can't have been your first time and it really was and so it, yes the, what I realized doing these self-help books and things happened later as well that we're we're, we're so limited in our ideas of ourselves and, and what we can but we can't. take on we take on one comment yeah it's one true. piece of information yeah. and, and it's not that we take it on because who are we our brain takes on one piece of uh-huh. information and adds it in without checking the validity of it the value yeah. of it or whatever yeah. I mean I remember thinking for years I had really ugly feet um because I I have a memory that when I first met my, my husband and we were out for the, you know, dating, uh, you know, in a summertime and, and, and sitting down, I can't even remember where or when it was and him saying, oh my God, your feet are so weird or something like that. Yeah. And then I remember, you know, years later, we were married years at this stage doing something or then I said, oh, stop, don't look at my feet, they're horrible. And he says, you've gorgeous feet. What are you talking about, yeah. And I, and I said, no, you told me when we met at horrible feet. No, I never did. I've always thought you've got gorgeous, elegant feet. Yeah. I, I don't know where that came from. But yeah. but I had sort of hidden my feet for years because yeah. of one little comment. Oh, wow. You know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Maybe sometimes we even dream some of the things. I yes. have no idea. Yes. Yeah. But um, but yeah, it, it, it could be because sometimes you can have really, really real dreams and you wake up. I know at the moment with the heat, I'm having uh, really crazy dreams, which is, yeah. is quite normal. But we should move on anyway. because this is so <laughs> fascinating. So was The Secret the next one? The Secret was the oh, next one. And I'm so, so with you on that book. <laughs> so, I mean, and it's very telling that I did that. So two, uh, one month, the financial reality, and then I flipped instead of... And I did have... Yeah, I think they were kind of... Uh, a bad they were and it was yeah, yeah. They, um, you were making I, I, you were making progress on the money I could have should have really stayed with the money another month but instead I flipped to the absolute opposite of reality which was the secret and the secret says um I mean lots of listeners will know the secret because it's I think still one of the best-selling self-help books of all time and the secret says that we can have anything we want in life if we just believe and there's a slogan, what you think about, you bring about. And so if you, you know, if you want a Mercedes, which I did at that point, the idea is you go to a car showroom and you sit in that Mercedes and you feel your hands on the wheel and you feel the leather and you really believe that car is yours. And according to the secret, somehow that is actually going to come into your reality. And with money, there wasn't much talk about, you know, checking your bank statements and earning you know, working hard, there was this a blank check that you can download from the secret website and you print off this blank check, which is from the universe, the bank of the universe, and you fill it out for the amount that you want. And the idea is that if you believe it will happen, it will come to you. 
And of course, the get out is, and if it doesn't come, it's because you didn't really believe. It's your fault. So this That's is what I don't like about these ones. It's a very, That's what I really don't like. It's a very yeah. blame, blame much. Uh, perspective. It's it. Yeah, it it, it was a real. I was I was and still am very conflicted by the secret because, in some ways, I do believe magic is possible. I've had experiences of just things that just wonderful and just fallen into my lap and um and I do believe that when we open our minds to what's possible um you know wonderful things can happen and I was deeply uncomfortable with this message that when bad things happen it's your fault um there's a part in the book that talks about if you're you know in a war zone it's because you're on the same frequency as that event, um, there's an implication that if you are sick, that's because something in your thoughts is causing that. You know, it's 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 very heavy stuff to lay on people's you know um, feet. With with, with 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 yeah, without without anyone to counteract or counterbalance the content in the book. So someone is yeah. reading this alone in their own house and maybe having very bad thoughts as a consequence of it. And someone may be reading it from a bad, starting from a very um, low place in their life and then reading that, it, 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 it could it have gives, very poor consequences. I think if you're reading it at a low point, it gives you such hope because it's so wonderful. You know, when mm. we're kids, we have that feeling of I could be anything. And, and you know, often it gets it gets knocked out of us along the way. But, you know, I want to be a ballerina and I want to be an astronaut. And this book asks you, what do you really want from your life? If you could have anything and it tries to encourage you to not come up with all the excuses that you normally would of, you know, I can't be a ballerina because I don't dance. They're like, if you want to be a ballerina, be a ballerina. And I loved, I loved that opportunity to actually really think, what, what do I want? And it made me realize I didn't know. Yes. You know, all I knew was what society had told me. So there's one of the exercises is a vision board and a vision board is, you know, you take a big piece of cardboard or a pin board and you pin up pictures of everything you want in your dream life. And, I started doing it and I started putting on these pictures of like houses in LA and I put on a picture of Blake Lively who's this beautiful actress and I put on um, pictures of these like you know I don't know the Mercedes went on there and these beautiful outfits and I realized when I was constructing this board that it was making me feel stressed because I didn't fit into this dream life I was creating like my the friend I was living with came Rachel home. that wonderful yeah, yeah she's a wonderful she, she's a voice of she's a voice of reason and, and yeah. reality in the book it's it's fabulous you have this amazing yeah. cast of characters in the book yeah I'm gonna, I, I, yeah. sorry I just want to say yeah. this in case I forget it yeah somebody please buy the rights to make this a movie because I think uh, it would make yeah. a movie a fabulous movie has anyone we, we can come back to that later oh. yeah we lots of conversations around that um, oh it would just be an amazing movie Oh. Can I play your mum? <laughs> she's, she's the most important character, no doubt about it. No, I'm joking. But just, but just with the vision board. So I put on this, you know, dream LA life. And then Rachel comes home, my flatmate, and it's just like, this isn't, and this is so not you. Yeah. And that was This is what the life. world says success looks like. Exactly. And I had never, ever sat down and properly said, what would life, what? what would a life look like that you really wanted? I just had never done that. And so I think it's a really useful exercise. And then I made another vision board 
that basically had you know pictures of my friends and there was pictures of you know places to go traveling in and um, there was a, a woman meditating on it and so then there was a, a, a courgette salad a picture of a courgette salad for some reason I put on in the middle and then my sister looked at that and she's like you do realize you could just buy courgettes it doesn't have to be, it doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> have to be a fantasy you could make it reality right now but I never did go and buy the courgettes yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I, I remember, like, I grew up, you see, a lot of people think these, you know, a lot of these books are, are, are new and modern and there's yes. a resurgent now. But like when I was younger, these were. And I remember trying to do the visualizing. And, and, and at that period of time, I, I really, really, I always, since I was eight, wanted to be an actor. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, uh, but I wasn't allowed to say it out loud. Again, you talk about and, and you, yeah. you, you talk about these things. Now, when I say I wasn't allowed to say it out loud. So, I mean, my parents, um, uh, I, 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 my parents sent me to drama classes and were very proud that I won competitions and all sorts of things. But I couldn't say it out loud that I wanted to be an actor professionally. And I actually didn't know that people could be actors professionally. Yes. Do, do, do you know what I mean? I didn't know that. Um, and also my father would have been he was 42 when I was born so you know that that was a he would have been born like in 1921 in Ireland do you know so um basically he would have seen you know actors as 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 uh the next profession to uh prostitutes you know do you know that kind of way yeah oh yeah well because going way back that that would have been the profession in the theaters and and those kind of things you know kind of medieval times and all those things that that kind of um thing anyway um why did I why did I say that yes so at the time I did eventually follow my dream you know when I was in my late 20s and I had two children wonderful timing um and I gave up my day job to pursue my dream to be an actor Uh, and I had qualified as a drama teacher and I was kind of teaching drama and trying to pursue acting whilst trying to pay a mortgage and I had a husband as well but and and bring up kids and and all the rest and I was manifesting that fabulous house in LA <laughs> white with glazed windows and the swimming pool and my career as an actor you know and I say a lot of us were trying to manifest that same house um, <laughs> which is why none of us got it because there wasn't enough houses for us do you know? And I, you know, I was doing all the the thing. I re- I remember the universe provides, and and you know, we were trying to make sure there was enough money to go around. You know, on mm-hmm. and, and our earnings, and I'd given up my job, and I did get a place in, and you know, in full time drama school. That it, and actually, I would have ended up going there at the same time Colin Farrell did. It was in the same place, and 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 I had to turn it down because I said I can't afford the fees, and they said, oh, we really want you there, and we'll waive the fees. And I said, yeah, but I, you're not allowed. Work work while you're there and I need to pay my mortgage you know it was kind of all that sort of thing anyway I did become an actor and I worked as an actor and I worked in tv here in Ireland for for 10 years um I worked in soap and um so I did kind of manifest that part of the career but I remember you know doing stuff like because uh, I was always quite frugal with money and I am yeah. um, you know my parents were frugal with money and I was thinking of your first memory you know and we a, a little bit like you the first memory that came to mind was getting some money for the first time in my life because we never got pocket money all my friends got pocket money but we yeah. were never given money you don't earn money as a child was you know we don't give you money if you need something 
we yes. will get it but you don't get money to spend every week and and basically uh, sweets were bought in the shop for a Saturday night like a little quarter pound of chocolate sateens or yes. little boil sweets were bought whereas my friends got money that they could go to the shop and make a decision what to spend it on. Yes. and um I remember the very first time I, I was think I was early teens that I actually got money to spend and I remember going into the dandelion market I had picked out the pair of purple dungarees that I wanted to buy and it was the very first time I was going to be able to buy something on my own for myself and when I got into the dandelion market I had lost or stolen or the money had been <gasps> stolen from me yeah now that's my first memory so I've always been really careful and, oh, and frugal with money oh, I remember going home and just crying and not believing oh, that it had happened yeah it's one of those ones isn't it oh, <laughs> so yeah. I was reading the book I was thinking gosh is that why I'm always so frugal yeah careful with yeah. money and it's only actually really only in the last year and moving here that I kind of sort of said no I can spend money on having my house nice it's in the bank yeah. and it's kind of okay and I mean I'm you know heading towards the last stage of my life but I've always been really really careful yeah. uh, with money whereas I have siblings who are real risk takers uh, and I know if I had taken risks I probably would have way more money but I've never felt yeah that I could take a risk with money I've always made sure when we got married first I would have envelopes for everything the complete opposite of you well yeah. I've worked out the mortgage is this the shopping is this that and each week I would put you know for 750 goes in there and that, and that means we'll have enough every week for everything and I presume it comes from something like that um this is Paige the co-host of Giggly Squad and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box and if you break it down it really comes out to two dollars a manicure which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Anyway, wow. yes. So yeah, the, the vision boards and all that. And I did all that um, as well. And it kind of didn't manifest. And, and I'm now actually, my next book actually is really going to be around all this stuff, yeah. which is why it fascinates me, you know, to kind of really go to the core of the neuroscience. Because yeah. I do believe there is something. And like you just said there, magic happens. And, and yeah. I think it's not magic. It is neuroscience. It's just we don't understand what it is that has happened, what it is that we've done that has allowed yes. that to happen. Yes. That's what it yes. me, you know. And um, I do think that it's not helpful to say, I, I think it's very religious. And like you, I'm Irish um, and we're brought up on that 
that yeah. that guilt that Catholicism you must believe and all the rest and and it's 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 just a it, it it's just a way to control you and it, it it's it, it, it anything that says if you don't believe you're not doing it right just does not get my vote uh-huh. and and I think it's a yeah. cop out and that's why in these books you know where anything that says you just have to believe mm-hmm. I'm all for believing yourself mm-hmm. that's entirely different. But basically, if something isn't working for you, well, then you've got to give the person a step back in and say, well, hold on, maybe you're pursuing the wrong thing. Maybe what you think you're looking for isn't actually really what's right. Maybe you need to take a step back and look and see. And actually, even for me, that's what you discovered. And what you discovered there was, you know what, that big, huge White House in LA actually isn't what makes me happy. Actually, it's my friends are what make it's yeah happy and are what are important to me and and that's the thing for me um and I'm going to skip on to because I don't think we'll and we would spoil it as well for all of the 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 listeners because you have to buy this book like it's just (laughs) so fabulous I do want to skip on to Tony Robbins because I remember discovering his book and reading his book and it is a tome of it and I can still see it it was green I think the version I bought it's huge isn't it and I remember being oh my god oh my god oh Uh my god thinking this was absolutely amazing and really now all I think about the man really is have you not got enough money have you not made enough money out of these people like tell them about the event that you went to how much it cost how many people were there and this man must be a billionaire at this stage surely so the, the so the Tony Robbins event. Tony Robbins is this kind of he's like the archetypal um, of an American self help guru. Like he's, he's a giant of a he's man. Six as well. foot six, and he's got this kind of you know razor cut jaw and this huge white teeth, and he's very 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 charismatic, very charismatic, and he holds these events all around the world, and thousands of people come to the stadium, and you spend three days with Tony. And he kind of whips you up into what he calls a peak state. So through music and through his kind of talking to you and you do all these like get up and dance and he just gets you into this state where you believe anything is possible. Quite a secret like in that way, like you're capable of anything. And apparently he modeled himself on, he studied evangelical priest preachers in the States um, and rock stars. Was there a third thing he modeled? I can't remember, but he he captures an audience so amazingly. Um, and one of the things that he talks a lot about is, you know, this mind over matter. And he gets you to believe so much that anything is possible. You run over a lane of burning coals. So I think the event I was at, there was maybe three, 4,000 people there. And I think the vast majority we piled out into this into the car park of um, the Excel Centre in East London, under the glow of the nearby Travelodge Hotel, and you <laughs> queued up in the dark and run across these lanes of burning coals. And you know, afterwards, the fact that you've done that is is like quite hard to get your head around. How did I do that? How did I even, you know, did it happen? It was so easy. Um, and but he whips you up into a frenzy. It's kind of a frenzy. music and, and exactly. atmosphere, and there is this whole exactly. group thing going on. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. And I do think you liken it to a cult. It's, 
I don't know about the word cult. Like, but did you use the word cult in that? I think I think my flatmate might have done. I oh, maybe that's what it was. I can't yeah. remember if I did. I don't know. Anyway, I, I need to investigate more what a cult actually is. Or it's a very easy word to to throw around at people and situations. And I'm well, not. In, in fairness, I often say, you know, when people talk about, uh, you know, loved ones being taken into a religious cult, and and the very person talking about it may be part of Catholicism. I'm not going to go. Well, Catholicism is, is a cult, you know. So this, so this is it exactly, exactly that. Um, but in terms of the money, so I think I think I paid. 500 I think in I think that was probably something like that and I was another's paid 1200 yeah. I was in the cheapest seat you paid more to be closer to Tony you could also pay more to have a photograph with Tony and a good a good section of that that three is it three or four day event I can't remember now um is spent trying to upsell you to the more expensive week-long retreats he does in his private island in Fiji and and I think uh, in the book you said there was 7,000 people at the event. Was it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah because I think uh, Rachel, your friend in the book, asks you that. Exactly. She, she, this is what's lovely, uh, you know, in the book is, is, is that your friends ask you the questions that you as the reader want exactly. to ask. Well, hold exactly. on a second. How many were there? How much money did he make out of that so, event? Yeah, so I came home from that event just madly in love with Tony Robbins, thinking he was the answer to everything. And... And Rachel, um, just exactly like you said, said how many people are there and, and how much is the tickets? And then she did the maths and she's like, you know, if Tony Robbins is such an amazing man that wants to save the world. Why, why is he charging so much for these tickets? Why doesn't he just let everybody in? And, um, and at the time I was really annoyed at her questioning him. I was really annoyed <laughs> because I thought yeah. he was so amazing. And I still actually think his information is fantastic, but it, it was, it's a really big industry. The self-help industry is a huge industry. Yeah. And I, I can't remember the figure. It's, it was in, it's, is it 1.5 billion or something was the figure that um, was the last estimate of, of what, it's, what it's worth. Um, and those, those industry, that industry is built on the fact that you don't just buy one book and you don't just go on one weekend retreat. You go on the next one, the next one, the next one, the next one. And at Tony, you know, there were people putting things, you know, buying, buying the next thing on credit card. Mm. And the message was always, you know, this is an investment in yourself. And we would get, you know, people coming up on stage and talking about how they were homeless. And now that they did a Tony Robbins week and now that they've got private jets. And but if they were homeless, how could they do afford to do a Tony Robbins well, week? But I mean, this, oh, I don't know. They, I can't remember how money would come to them or whether they would borrow, beg, steal and borrow. And it would be the thing. And I don't discount that all of that is possible. It's, But it's a very... It's a very, it's a very um, intoxicating atmosphere to be oh, in. Oh, I, I remember that, but yeah. I didn't go to any of the events, but I remember feeling really inspired by the book. And yeah. you also read, you also read Louise Hay. And yeah. I mean, my copy of Louise Hay, I, I, I still have it. I haven't read it for 20 years, I'm yeah. sure. And, um, and my copy was so well read. All the pages have fallen apart. Yeah. Um, and that's one of your last books that, that you read. I now look back at a lot of these books, you know, yeah. now because I wouldn't have been a psychologist at that point. I wouldn't have uh -huh. been to university and I wouldn't have the knowledge that I have now. But... I believed a lot of this stuff um, 
and I um, also would have Deepak Chopra I would have read loads uh, of his stuff seven spiritual laws of success and you know I was seeking stuff I probably actually would have been around your age I would have been in my 30s and I think that's a particularly yeah. interesting decade of your life it's, do you know I, I, yeah. I think turning 30 is actually one of the critical you know mm-hmm. I, it's actually more challenging than turning 40 and 50 and you know because um I suppose we're such an ageist society and it's the first sort of serious age turn and um you start to question yourself and and really in hindsight as you get older you realize how very young you are at that point you know your 30s you're still very young and it's funny when I was listening to your book and you were talking about I don't know what I want I don't know and then you kind of go well, you know what? You're only 30. You know, life yeah. life is actually yeah. d- uh, discovering what you want. Do you know, yeah. I'm really only uh, like a lot of us, you live life and it's during that journey. Sorry, mom, I'm at the journey <laughs> thing again. But it is during that journey that you actually learn what yeah. you love. Now, I happened to and possibly I did it. Sorry, Dave, my husband. But, you know, I followed that pattern. You know, you you meet a man, you get married. And I did that very, very young. Uh, now, fortunately, you know, I, I, you know, I married a very good man, um, which is probably one of the most important things to do, I would say. You know, that goodness um, is important. And I actually interviewed a, a, one of my guests on the earliest part, uh, podcast. She wrote a fabulous book, if ever you read it, Hilary Fannin. And it really explores that about, you know, uh, falling in love with, uh, you know, this fantastic, beautiful man and ending up with this good man. And it's a fabulous uh, book. Yeah. Um, it really is. Um, the Weight of Love, it's called. The if you've never, love, yeah, yeah, if you've never read it. And it, it's, it spans actually Ireland and London. And I think you'll oh, kind of, yeah. yeah, I think you'll, it's a beautiful book. Really fabulous. Okay. Anyway, I'm, I'm digressing on that. But um, so I kind of did all, all that. And I, that's what struck me because um basically a lot of a lot of your self-help journey and 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 one of your one of your self-help books was about uh taking risks and Mm -hmm. and you know so many of your friends were saying you know and assuming as a lot of people and a lot of my listeners are in their 20s and 30s this pressure that you should be partnered up or married or having babies and I have quite a few friends actually who've never had children Mm -hmm. um and and that pressure that either there's something wrong or you can't have children or actually I even took part in a documentary with Joanne McNally the comedian uh, 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 and and how people viewed her as a baby hater because she made a comment that she didn't think she ever wanted to have children you know and and um the pressure uh that is felt there and and you know it's funny I mean your book really got me thinking and I love a book that does that it's really thought-provoking that people from the outside in viewing you are saying Marianne why do you want to change you're so successful right um and this resonated with me the thing about success is that when you achieve something it's done you have your little buzz and then it's done and it's the next thing. And, and one of the things you learned on the journey is it's, it's actually really not about getting there. It's, it's, you know, it's not about arriving. It's the journey there because actually you've got to keep striving because yeah. 
you achieve that thing and that's that buzz and you need to have something else and that's really good for your brain health and your uh -huh. mental health and and your life so that also gives the sense that when you've already done something yeah 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 that's done what have i achieved if you know what i mean because you I don't do. carry that that buzz around you all the time but from the outside people are looking at you oh my god because there's one incidence where you're feeling really down and your friend says but you've got three articles on the newsstand you know and two newspapers yeah. and, and and you're going yeah but you know that's rubbish or whatever yeah and I've had that feeling as well you know people said oh but you were in a soap opera and you were you know in this and, and you kind of go yeah but that's done and I got that feeling actually when you were talking about you know but you know I haven't got a partner or, and people were focusing on oh you've got to find a man or you've yeah. got to ask someone out and I'm kind of going but the funny thing is once you meet someone and get married you know well that's done <laughs> do, do you yeah. know what I mean it's yeah. kind of funny but yeah. when you haven't done it yet so why you were waiting to get a job as a journalist that seemed like the biggest thing in the world but then once you get it there's something else you need to look for you know yeah um it's just society and media and I really don't think it helps that all our movies and our books put so much emphasis on romantic love yeah. as yeah. the be all and end all because yeah. at the end of the day the romantic love bit of it doesn't actually last very long yeah. Yeah, you know, films and and movies and stuff are kind of lying in that. What what lasts yeah. very long is a really deep love that's very similar to friendship and mm. family love, and mm. you know, it's about caring for people, and that can come from lots of different sources. Well, this is the source of my second book. So oh, this, excellent! Yeah, the second book is called Love Me, and it's um it's the the subtitle is One Woman's Search for a New Happy Ever After. And it's just about this, this um, unpacking of the romantic myth of having to go off into the sunset with someone and that's never happened for me. And why is that? Is it because I'm doing something wrong or is it because there's actually many different ways to live a life and I am yes. living the life that's best suited to me? Um, and so it explores all of this. Um, yeah. And, and you see what struck me as well, like I was very envious. I've been married for a very long time. I mean, I was married since 19, in 1987, but I was very envious of the love you have. Yeah. Which is, uh, uh, you know, from the outside, um, people might say, oh, look, you have that. But I'm so envious of the love you have with your mother. I never had that with my mother. Uh, you know, I'm very envious of that. Very envious of the love. I have lovely friends as well, but yeah. uh, and I do have, but some of your friends, the, the love and the understanding and, um, the 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 deep loyalty that's incredible yeah. you I'm know really, I'm really really genuinely blessed so romantic love has never gone my way friendship I have just been so blessed with I you're, have, you're drowning in friendship I, really, deep, I would say deep, yeah deep loving friendships I really do and and I work at them and they work at it with me you know it's it's would you know we drive each other mad sometimes but like that seems to be something that's I've just and I know not everyone finds that easy that's something that doesn't happen for a lot of people we no. have, there's this idea that friends are just these sort of natural things that people have but a lot of people I wrote an article about this um a lot of people don't have close friends and it's a source of embarrassment because that's just it, that's something they find hard whereas a partnership they might have again fallen into quite easily when they were younger but friendship is something they haven't I have been very lucky in friendship and I'm really lucky with my mom. I really, yeah, I'm, and 
and I suppose part of what the first book was about, and I've repeated that same mistake in the second book, but the first book, a lot of it is about focusing on things that I don't have and missing everything that I, that I have. have, Yeah, which was so much. And I look back, so the book came out in 2018 and we're 2022 now. And I've done a few interviews again about the book recently. It's funny, it had been quiet and it's, it's starting again. So I, I look back on some of my earlier interviews almost to revise, you know. Yeah, what the book is about. You forget what you've written. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I look, and I, look, I look at myself now on these TV interviews things and I just think, oh, I look so young and I'm so articulate. And I kind of bitterly thinking, what was your problem? Why did you do any of that? Yes. Why did you? Yes, because so I've, I've been looking at images of you and, and I'm kind of going... You almost sound like your body dysmorphia because yeah. you just look yeah. so amazing. But I find that about myself as well. Every time I look back in time, and I'm always still though. This is what's wonderful, folks. If you do listen to or read the book, um, Marianne reveals her internal dialogue, which yeah. is so like my internal dialogue, and yeah. I am sure it is identical to your internal dialogue. Yeah. This constant self-criticism yeah. that we all this you know and and it's something I'm interested and it's something that I'm going to be writing about in in, in yeah. my next book as well you know which really is going to be about manifesting but from a neuroscientific perspective uh, yeah. but but um you know this constant critique that we have of ourselves yeah. but what is wonderful is about the way way the honest way that you shared it because I think this huge comfort to be gained from that when you read that is you kind of go oh that's exactly what I say yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. and the funny thing is that, that that you've just said looking back on that like I gained like a lot of people a lot of weight during the pandemic Me too. You know? yeah. and I've never felt so heavy in my life and uh -huh. so much of my identity is pinned on how slim yeah. I am and I can pinpoint that back to my teens um I was never aware or conscious I was always a skinny child my bones stuck out everywhere I never ate very much I wasn't interested in food and then I remember in my teens overhearing guys saying what a fabulous body I had and how you know I remember thinking actually it was a horrible thing to say but what a great bum I had and I thought what a disgusting thing to say about but I soon learned you know oh that was actually a good thing sort of yeah. thing you know yes and so my sense of being attractive yeah. was always related to yeah. how good my body looked and that yeah. has never changed so when I carry weight I think that means I become completely and utterly unattractive yeah. Yeah. It, it just doesn't relate to anything else. Um, and so I feel completely unattractive when I when I carry weight. Um, and I've there's rare times when I feel the ideal weight. But now that I feel overweight and I look back and I go, oh, my God, look at me there. I look lovely. And I thought I was grossly overweight there. And now yeah. I'm really grossly overweight. And then you look back and, and you keep looking back and you just have this constant overcritical yeah. sense of of who you are but there's one thing I do want to say that also is something that I learned a little bit later in life and I think we do eventually come to learn these things and 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 that's what you you know you had this constant thing about how could anyone find me attractive mm. and then you have this lovely line um because you were aware that you smiled a lot 
yeah. and and you have this lovely interaction um with this greek and i i i'm kind of loath to talk about it because i don't <laughs> want to spoil that story in it but i do want to ask you a question and, I, and I, maybe i'll ask you off camera not to not not to but it's akin to a, it's a bit of a greek tragedy in a way in, in in some parts but then you do have this wonderful line which i believe is very true and my listeners know how passionate i am about smiling and you just said maybe it's not that I think it's something like that people yeah. are braver than me or that they're more attractive maybe they just smile at other people more and 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 that is that is proven in research people mm. who smile are considered more attractive and people yeah. who people will approach people who smile more than any other people because yeah. um uh, it like it is it, it is a it, it's related to the fear response it's okay to approach that person if you have a grumpy face on like we'll it's aversive we'll go the other way you know yeah yeah, yeah because I had this um yeah this idea that I was single because I wasn't good looking enough and that I didn't have blonde hair and I was whatever and then I had this moment where I have this conversation with a man and he says he said that if, if you know it's, it's, it's quite sort of a logical approach to it but he said if a woman smiles at him three times that was when he knew he could approach her and so then I have this moment of like oh okay maybe they're not all just like better than me maybe they're just smiling more but when I'm when I'm confronted or confronted you see confronted is a telling word but if I'm with a man or see a man that I fancy I'm so scared and stressed I'm not smiling at him yeah Whereas the rest of the world, I smile a lot. And that's probably partly why I make friends easily. When it comes to someone that I'm attracted to, I don't, you know. Um, what do you think? I mean, you do freeze when you find. So, yeah. so the, the fear response is often described as fight or flight. And yeah. people forget, actually, the fear response freeze. has three, three yeah. points and freeze is. And you do seem to freeze. Freeze in yeah. that instant and have you have have you any because you don't discuss this in the book have you any idea why you think you really freeze well I I don't know there's you know I went to an all-girls school I yeah. had three sisters it was a catholic <coughs> school a catholic school where you know the message was if you got raped and you got pregnant you had to keep the child because it was what God wanted I think there was just this combination when I was a younger girl of always just not being in my world very much yeah. you know and and then our first understanding of them was they might do bad things yes yes yeah. and and I have male friends and they're wonderful so in lots of ways this isn't the case but when there comes to that there's just there's a guardedness that I have around men that I absolutely don't have around women and yeah. in some ways that's dropped in some situations that's not there and then in other situations it really is so yeah it's an area of my life that I'm still not easy in yeah 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 and there's some really interesting stuff I won't go to, into it all but it it, it 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 is it's really interesting from a psychological perspective in in terms of how little one-liners that our parents say like your mom saying oh you're always so independent I never thought that yeah. you'd settle down or whatever and yeah. they can actually you know enter our psyche and may have huge influence on our life I do we've gone just over the hour and I really yeah. appreciate your time but I do want you to mention because you really did find um um Eckhart's book yeah um uh, and it'd be nice for you 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 found yes. that really transformative and yes it would the power, be, the power it would be remiss of, of me yeah not yeah. to allow you sort of mention that <laughs> The Power of Now was really my favorite, favorite book, and, and I'm sure lots of people know it, but 
this point, I, you know, I was, it was one of my final books and I had really come unstuck after a year and a bit trying to be perfect and realizing that I was not, I was a mess still. Um, and the power of now and also Brené Brown's Daring Greatly, they, they were two really wonderful books. The power of now, a bit like you were referring to this sort of internal criticism that I had constantly going on. The power of now was the first time I read a description of that in a book and it made me realize, oh, like first of all, I didn't even know that like, he, he says that they're like records that we put on these records every morning. There's the I'm fat record, the I'm lazy record, the no one fancies me record, the I'm a shit writer record, the I'm boring record. These thoughts that will repeat and repeat and repeat, but they're so normal to us. We don't even realize they're there. So the power of now is the first time that I was like, oh my God, this is what I'm saying to myself every single day. And I wrote down some of the records and what I was saying. And then I was thinking, God, well, no wonder I'm, you know, I get physically sick. I get worn down very easily and I've periods of depression. It's like, well, no wonder I'm poisoning myself every day with the things I'm telling myself. And so he says that, you know, we all have these records and, there's sort of peace in just accepting that too, that this is part of the, the kind of dysfunctional part it's of being part of the human condition. Exactly. Yeah. And so that, that in a weird way is like there's no cure in that, but it's a relief in just going, oh, okay, this is this is what we do. Because he says that humans are quite insane, that you know, we we're the only species to just kill each other in at mass and to almost never feel happy in the present moment. Um so he says his thing it's is language that, in a way language has given us the capacity to imagine uh, to imagine futures that may never happen and that, that takes us. us that takes yeah. us out of the present so swans can mate for life um, and they grieve as much as we do but they yeah. don't imagine what it would be like if their partner died they're too busy living they're living their life right. in the moment but if their partner does die they will grieve whereas oh. we have the capacity to keep imagining that that might happen in the future and that's language allows us to do that and our thinking process i think allows us to do that and 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 that's where we get all caught up in, in mental up. illness and but we control our thoughts and we can we can let them drift as Eckhart sort of says or you can change so, yeah one of, you one of the, really, the record yeah one of the really helpful things that he says is, so he says that when you see people walking down the street and they're talking to themselves you know you think they're mad but we're all doing that all yeah. the time um, and so just to realize that, but he says also the other thing that we do is that we, just like you were saying there, that we're either constantly rushing ahead to the future, either that things are going to be magically better in the future or potentially worse, or we're living in the past, rehashing all the things we should have, would have, could have done differently. Um, and we never live in the only place that he says brings us peace and calm, which is in the current moment. Yeah. And up at this point, like mindfulness was very big and I would kind of roll my eyes with all this be in the now stuff I didn't really know what it meant until I read the power of now and then I really really got it and he says you know if you ask yourself at any given moment do I have a problem right now this second so right now this second we're having this lovely conversation I am healthy we I'm safe right now there is absolutely no problem but of course, in my head, I could be doing a whole number of like, why didn't you say this or what's going to happen next month? But to constantly bring it back, do I have a problem right now this second? No. OK, breathe. And he says that when we do have problems, you know, when the worst happens, we get sick, someone dies. We usually amaze ourselves at how well we do get through it. You know, it's not that it's not painful, but we 
actually something kicks in and we get through it. And so the power of we're now, incredibly, incredibly adaptable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and resilient and. And and so then that so then I did that book and I really it was I just had moments of pure peace in it and an understanding of um, what yeah how it is possible to just and 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 I should up. say to the listeners that it was very important because uh, throughout the journey towards you know sort of after about sort of maybe nine or ten months you yes. became very ill in yes. terms of uh, very very depressed and it's it's not surprising because you were spending all of your time self-analyzing you were actually yeah. never in the present yeah. moment to be perfectly yeah. honest yeah. Um, and and while being and, and I advocate for present moment and I often say to people look you don't have to do mindfulness exercises it doesn't mm -hmm. have to be meditation it doesn't have to be that but spend time in the present moment but you also have to plan and you can learn from the past but you know find things where you can lose yourself in the present because in losing yourself that's where you find yourself because you're you know yeah you, it, it sounds it, it sounds like an oxymoron but it's it's the truth um but what had in doing taking on this and it's exactly like the therapist that you ended up going to yes. um said you were doing experiments without yeah. any uh what we'd call supervision which is without offloading or explaining what was happening and actually if you'd been doing that someone would have said to you you have to stop because yeah. this is making you unwell and and basically you were never you were never in the present moment you were constantly putting um yourself under huge pressure and threat which is why i think it should have a little label that says do not try this at home um because um yeah. it, you know it was way too much for any single i didn't understand i didn't understand what i was doing to myself i, I hadn't ever had therapy i had no psychological awareness really so i didn't understand and especially if you had a tendency towards um towards depression and also actually something that i found it, it, it's it's funny we i have listeners all around the world the bulk of my listeners my core listeners are pretty much 50 50 irish and uk and i think what's really interesting because you've grown up in in the uk but then you've an irish heritage and i wonder whether some of and I'd love to hear back from people, but whether some of the things that you've said and some of your baggage, for want of a better word, are, is uniquely Irish. Because oh, I, I think some of it really feels really uniquely Irish. But then it's interesting because, so yes, so you're right, but so. your book has been global. So, so I, the Irish Catholic guilt, I think, is such a core, core part of my personality going to a convent school and I, I, I think it's very Irish and then in other ways it mustn't be because I the book has been I think it's in 30 31 languages congratulations um, thanks and I get messages it came out last summer in Iran and wow. I get messages from people in Iran but saying, you see a, rep a re repressed a female repressed kind of uh, culture that's true that's true that's true um but yeah and also but then Russia, again I suppose around the globe females have been repressed and are becoming maybe, more right. repressed when you look in in other in, in no, the United States yeah I hadn't thought of it through that light but yeah the message basically from every country in the world and I've really well, not every country but all the countries that's come in has been along the lines of it was like reading myself yeah and so that makes me think that yes in some ways it's very irish yes in some ways it's very catholic and and in other ways maybe it's just human 
Um, I think it's I think it's human. I, I yeah. uh, and I, I think I've actually said so. My my husband <clears throat> um, has dyslexia, and he'd never read a book until um, lockdown. Really, he'd read one or two um, <laughs> that were mainly just soccer uh biographies um and I said to him look you have to listen to audible it's amazing and he put it off for a very long time because he thought it just was someone and then she went and then he didn't realize that books are amazing and they come to life and they're acted out and everything so I was listening to this yesterday evening and I was just laughing out loud and I, I would like you to and um, to tell the story about your uncle when he died and Amy Winehouse <laughs> but um and I was laughing out loud and he said I thought you were working I said I am I can't wait to talk to this woman tomorrow and uh, I should say that folks the book is full of humor and I had lots funny. of laughed out laugh out loud moments because it's that laugh out loud at yourself and the connection and how oh my god I do that oh I can't believe yeah. she did that and uh I said oh you just have to you have to listen to this so I'm giving it he's going to listen to it next uh, and I know that he will love it and so, I'm curious did you hear a lot from guys who've read it so this is really interesting because um the, the book opens with the lines from like there comes a point in a woman's life when she realizes things can't carry on um as they are and I was interviewed, one of the very first interviews I did for the book was in Holland. Um, and I'd been invited to speak at this big festival and there was this male TV presenter that was interviewing me on a stage. And his first question, it really stayed with me. He said, why didn't you say there comes a time in every person's life when you realize, because he said, I related to everything in your book. I'm not a woman. <laughs> um, and so it's definitely more female readers than male readers, but I get messages from men very regularly. Yeah, so yeah it's, it's a human experience. And yeah, um, they, you know, I think for men, the, the pressure that is on them might be slightly different forms of pressure to the one that I might feel as a woman. They have different expectations yeah. on them. Um, but no, I, I get messages from male readers. Um, yeah, and that's encouraging to hear, I think, as well, you know, that, that it, it is the, the human experience. But I do think women buy more self-help books we do, than yeah. men. The statistics show that. Um, but there's, there's also self-help as a funny genre because um, some books will be put under self-help, but then there's also this branch called smart thinking, which you could say is self-help, but put in a more business context. And a yes. lot of business books are actually yes. self-help books. And a lot of um, the kind of more scientific yeah, the, the, the self-help content that's packaged as the sort of success manuals for, for men. Um, there's, yeah, there's, I think there's different pressures on men and different pressures on women. Um, and I wonder how much that's changing. But for me as a woman, the idea was always as a woman, that my job was to be pretty and nice. And, um, <laughs> and for men, there's different pressures, which is, I guess, to be successful and to be big yeah. and to be strong and, um, powerful the, yeah powerful exactly which is a lot of pressure on them too I think um, so yes there we go self-help I do have I do have male readers but yeah traditionally the the, uh, the genre as we know self-help tends to be a more female it tends to be a more um, female yeah. yeah yeah audience um look it has been I could talk to you forever uh, I could, uh, Marianne it has been just such an absolute pleasure uh talking to you um uh I like to end this podcast really is about surviving and thriving in life yeah. uh, and your whole book is about that um I'm going to ask you um if it's at all possible to give us just one tip about surviving and or thriving in life that you can share with our, our listeners 
is to be honest with somebody about how you're feeling right now, just to be honest. Um, the one of the, I did so many weird and wonderful, brilliant things in the book and the moments that were the most special were these unexpected, honest conversations that I would have with my friends, with taxi drivers, with someone at a bus stop about what was going on and what was worrying me and what was hurting. And those conversations were just so beautiful because almost, and it's a bit like you were saying when you read the book and I am honest in it. And all I ever find with honesty is to be met with someone who goes, me too, <laughs> me too. And, and it's, it's the most lovely thing. Your problem will still be there and somehow it doesn't feel so bad. It just feels like, ah, well, there we go, we're human. Yeah, and it's the problem shared. And actually, yeah, you gotta re read it even just for that moment sharing with the uh, one particular taxi driver was oh, like- Oh yeah, he just, changed my life, that taxi yeah, driver. Yeah, yeah, incredible. And, 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 and I felt- yeah, yeah. I mean, and I have found that myself, you know, often we tend to write off taxi drivers, but sometimes there are incredible yeah. individuals sitting well, they around. Yeah, yeah they, they do humans. know humans and they yeah. have interacted with so many humans uh -huh. and often they have incredible uh, stories and incredible insight and incredible wisdom. Uh, yeah. The book is called Help Me. Oh, thank you, thank you, you just helped me. In case it didn't come across in the interview, I absolutely loved Marianne's book, Help Me, and highly recommend it. Get yourself a copy if you can. Um, I particularly enjoyed the Audible edition. It was lovely to hear Marianne reading it um, herself and also to hear her mum chirping in with her little pieces of wisdom. I found it funny, I found it poignant, um, and I also found it really thought-provoking. Um, but I do genuinely think it should come with a don't try this at home warning. Um, you know, essentially, Marianne carried out an experiment on herself, um, and it did have dire consequences. She did make herself very ill. My name is Sabina Brennan, and you have been listening to Superbrain, the podcast for everyone with the brain. 